Our scripture this reading comes from the book of Isaiah, the 64th chapter. Hear now the word of our Lord. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right who remember your ways, but when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and make us waste away because of our sins. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember, do not remember our sins forever. O look upon us, we pray, for we are all your children. Your sacred cities have become a desert. Even Zion is a desert, Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple where, your, where our fathers praised you has been burned with fire and all that we treasure lies in ruins. After all this, O Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. When I was a kid, we didn't have uh, Veggie Tales. We had Hanna-Barbera's The Greatest Adventure, Stories from the Bible. And this was a cartoon that told uh, Bible stories and it told it from the point of view of these uh, time-traveling archaeologists named Derek Margo and their nomad friend Moki. And Derek Margo and Moki, each week, would pass through these, these doors in, uh, in a temple, and they would be transported into the Bible story. And so they would insinuate themselves in the lives of uh, David and Samson, and, uh, and all the different uh, heroes from the Bible. My favorite of these cartoons was the one about Daniel. Now, um, I love the, the story about Daniel because I felt a special kinship to Daniel because we shared the same name. Um, but also because Daniel showed us how to handle persecution. And as a first grader, I was no stranger to persecution. Um, I was pale, I was skinny. If you can imagine, my voice was even more nasally before puberty than it is now. 
I had a speech impediment and I wore hearing aids. And, and they weren't the kind they have today where you can barely see them. They were like big floppy over the ear, constantly squealing hearing aids. And to top it all off, my mom dressed me like I was 50 years old. I remember the kids in the playground uh, would always uh, chant Danny Needlenose. That's what they called me, Danny Needlenose. Can you feel my pain? One day, I brought a bag of Ninja Turtle trading cards with me to recess. Um, it was in a little, uh, little brown bag, and I was really proud of my Ninja Turtle trading cards. And I remember at recess, these two kids named Zach and Trey came up to me and asked me what was in my bag. Now, Zach and Trey were probably in second grade. I was in first grade, but to me, they were like full-grown adults straight out of a rap video, and I was terrified of them. And uh, they said, so what's in the bag, Neagle Nose? And I did uh, what Daniel would do in this situation. Uh, I fled to the slide, and under the slide, there under the slide, I prayed to God, that God, that the same God who shut the mouths of the lions would shut the mouths of uh, Trey and Zach. And uh, Trey and Zach found me there at the slide. They asked me again, what's in the bag, Neagle Nose? And I stood up confidently. I looked Trey and Zach in the eyes. And I said, these are my Ninja Turtle trading cards. And I just prayed to God and God says, you can't have them. The next thing I remember, I was looking up, and I saw a rainbow in the sky. And uh, rainbows mean different things to different people, but to me, at that time, it meant the God of the Bible did not have my back. Has the God of the Bible ever let you down? I mean, in a serious way, not with your trading cards in the middle of the playground. But has the God of the Bible ever let you down? Have you prayed for years for a miracle and nothing happened and wondered why? See, we just spent uh, several months together um, learning and, and talking about the story of the Exodus, of, 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 of the God of old who parts the Red Sea, who, who brings manna in the wilderness, who is always and always intervening on behalf of his people. And you would be justified, maybe, to, to look at, at, the, at the story of the Exodus and ask the question, who cares? Who cares? I mean, all evidence points to the fact that God doesn't still act that way. We just look at the world and we don't always see the God of the Bible, the God of the Exodus. We look at, we look at the, these mass shootings and we wonder, where is their Passover? Who is protecting children in their schools when the angel of death comes? We look at Houston and Florida and Puerto Rico and we wonder, where is the God that can part the Red Sea when the floodwaters show up there? 
We see statistics that, that tell us that 3.1 million children die of starvation each year. And we have to ask ourselves, who cares about a, the story of a God that can rain bread from heaven if he doesn't do it today? It's estimated that in the world today, there are 40 million people in slavery right now, forced to work or forced to prostitute themselves. And we have to ask, where is their exodus? There's an estimated 65.3 million refugees in the world today, displaced by famine, war, by political and religious persecution. Where's their promised land? You might be justified in looking at the story of the Exodus and asking, who cares? Who cares if the God of the Bible is not the God of today? I think sometimes we're a lot like those, uh, those people uh, in a small desert town. There had been a drought, and they had all gathered to pray for rain. The whole town gathered in this, uh, this country church, and the pastor got up in front of the congregation, and he looked around and said, you're not ready to pray for rain. Come back tomorrow. They all came back the next day. Uh, they were even more excited. There were even more of them. The, the pastor gets up to the pulpit. He looks around. He says, you're not ready. Come back tomorrow. So on the third day, literally every person in town is packed into that small country church, ready to pray for rain. And the pastor looks out at the congregation and says, Three days in a row, we've gathered to pray for rain. And not one person has bothered to bring an umbrella. See, we pray. But if we're honest, sometimes we don't believe that the God of the Bible is the God of our lives. Not really. I mean, we talk a big game, but we've been hurt before. Maybe when a relationship was, was falling apart and we prayed, prayed for God to intervene and he didn't and we don't understand why still. Or when a dear loved one was in need of healing and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed that God would heal that person and he didn't. And we don't know why still today. We've been hurt. And so now we're calloused. And we pray these timid little prayers to a God we don't believe will be moved. Lord, maybe. I mean, if it's possible, if it's within your will, if you could just please, but it's cool if you don't. I'm not casting judgment. I'm just keeping it real. That some days I'm in the same boat with you. Who cares? Some Monday mornings, I open up my Bible and, and look, at, look at the passage I'm going to preach about on Sunday. And it takes me from Monday to Sunday to, to deal with the question, who cares? What does this matter? Why am I going to proclaim this miracle if we don't believe that things like this still happen? Now, I know what you're thinking. 
Danny, look around. <laughs> it's Christmas. Why are you bumming us out? It's not Christmas just yet. It's Advent. And during the season of Advent, we are preparing our hearts for Christ to enter in. And part of preparing our hearts for Christ to enter in is dealing with these painful questions. See, this morning we have to gather together and we have to light the candle of hope. We can't light the candle of hope together while we're still living together in despair, while we're still wrestling with this question, who cares? Who cares? And see, Advent wasn't always a season of celebration. It used to be a, uh, a season of repentance. It used to be a season of fasting. The, this time before Christmas, the church would come together, they would repent of their sins, and they would fast. I'm not going to ask you to fast during Advent. I'm not going to fast during Advent. I've got a lot of gingerbread in my future. But that's what people used to do. And so the lectionary gives us passages like this one this morning. And we're supposed to light the candle of hope. And then we have this passage from Isaiah who's saying, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. But our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Isaiah, at first, isn't much help to us. See, Isaiah 64 that we read together comes at the, uh, at the end of a lament that begins in Isaiah 63-7. Isaiah is writing to the people who have just returned from exile in Babylon. They've just returned from exile in Babylon, and, and the temple that they used to worship at has been burned to the ground. The, the, the homes that they left behind have come back, and yes, they're still charred. Uh, all the furniture's still ransacked. The fields that, that used to host grain are fallow and they're overrun by jackals. The, 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 the vineyards that, 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 used to, that used to produce fruit are just lying there unused. And they're looking around and they're asking, where is the God of the Bible? Where is the God of miracles? Why doesn't he step in and fix all of this? And so Isaiah has the same question. He starts 63 by saying, I will tell of the kindness. That same word has said, I will tell of the kindness of the Lord. And then he begins to, uh, to, to recount all the things that, that God did during the Exodus how he parted the Red Sea, how he provided for the people in the wilderness, how he brought them in to the promised land. But then he says, 63.15, Look down from heaven and see from your lofty throne, holy and glorious, where are your zeal and might? Your tenderness and compassion are withheld from us. 
And that leads us to 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Oh, God, that you would show yourself. That you would make our enemies tremble before us like you used to in the good old Bible days. That you would show your mighty acts. That you would show these these miracles. And that we could all believe beyond the shadow of a doubt because your presence was with us. That you would show yourself once again. To me, that's the amazing, the amazing thing about the Bible. The Bible totally gets us. Right? Because these words that we read this morning, that's in the Bible too. That's the God of the Bible too. You see, the God of the Bible sometimes makes us wait. The God of the Bible sometimes stays silent and takes it on the cheek as, as, we, as we shout toward the heavens and accuse him of not loving us and of not taking care of us. That's the God of the Bible too. For every Daniel who is in the lion's den and gets this miracle, gets those uh, jaws of those lions shut, for every Daniel there's a Stephen that believes in Jesus and gets stoned anyway. For every Red Sea parting in the Bible, there is also exile into Babylon. For every Moses and Joshua, there's a Job and an Isaiah. The Bible does not make us false promises. The Bible tells us like it is. See, sometimes brain, brains, sometimes bread does rain down from heaven. Other times... There's famine in the land. All of y'all know Aaron Miller. Um, Aaron Miller and I were uh, talking one day. We were talking about the story of, uh, of Abraham and Isaac. And Abraham sacrificing, sacrificing Isaac on the mountain. Y'all know how the story goes. Uh, God commands Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on the mountain. Uh, he takes his only son to the top of the mountain. He, he lays him down on the wood and he's getting ready to sacrifice him when suddenly an angel intervenes. So stop. He points to the bush and there's a ram whose horns are caught in the thicket. And Abraham goes and takes the ram and sa- sacrifices the ram instead. And we're told that there on the mountain, the Lord will provide. Aaron was telling me uh, he was reading this uh, with some friends. And uh, it it was kind of a a college Bible study situation. And his friends were saying, see, the message of this story is is that God always provides the ram. That uh, whatever we face in life, um, when we're going through hardship, uh, when, when we're brought right to the brink, that God will deliver us and God will provide the ram. And uh, Aaron looked at those uh, looked at those boys, and he pointed to the braces on his legs, and he says, "Well, where's my ram then? Here's my difficult situation. Where's my ram?" Now, those of you that know Aaron know that Aaron's not a complainer, and he wasn't complaining then. But he, what he was saying is sometimes we go through, through troubled times in life and there is no way out. 
There is no magical intervention. Sometimes you just have to walk with the braces on. Sometimes you get to the top of the mountain with your only son. And God provides the ram. God provides the miracle. The angels intervene. And sometimes you get to the top of the mountain with your only son. And he just lays on the wood and he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Sometimes you get to the top of the mountain and there is no miracle. See, the God of the Bible is not the God that just does whatever we ask, however we ask. The Bible does not promise us that. But it does promise us this. What Isaiah says, Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hands. Who cares? Our Father cares. The potter cares. The one who made us, who created us, he cares. We don't appreciate this because we're, you know, every Sunday we pray, Our Father who art in heaven. We're just so used to thinking of God as Father that we don't understand that, that what a revolutionary idea this was. Isaiah, as far as I'm aware, was the, was the first person to, to say it in the Old Testament. We get a lot of rock, we get a lot of redeemer, we get a lot of shepherd, but we don't get a lot of father in the Old Testament. And Isaiah, in response to the people saying, who cares? In response to the people saying, where is God in all of this mess? In response to people saying, what happened to the God of the Bible? Isaiah says, God is our Father. God is our Father. He is the one who loves us. We are His children. He cares so deeply for us, just like that. He longs to know us. He longs to be in relationship with us. He longs to be with us. And he is with us. See, he is the potter. We are his creation. Now, this potter imagery, like you can picture this verse and a picture of a potter wheel. And this verse is like in cursive, like gold on top of the potter wheel, like, like on a bulletin cover somewhere. Or maybe when I think of the potter's wheel, and be honest, I think of Demi Moore shaping that potter's wheel and uh, Patrick Swayze's muscly arms around her shaping that potter's wheel, right? It's such a, a romantic, comforting thought, the potter's wheel. But look at it from the point of view of the clay. What, what happens to the clay in between being dirt and being this, this lovingly crafted vessel. What goes from being dirt to being a jar? Well, first, you get pounded over and over and over and over until you're not dirt anymore, until you're something malleable. 
and then you get thrown on the wheel. Then you spin round and round and round and round and round. And the potter carves pieces off of you and shapes you and then looks at you and you're wobbly. Then he pounds you all over again into a ball and then shapes you again and then throws you back on that wheel and works you and works you and works you and works you. And then when you're perfect, into the fire you go. Into the oven you go. See, life on the potter's wheel is not all hunky-dory, but we have a promise that God is with us the whole time. That all these things are being worked, we're going through are shaping us into who we are meant to be. It is a very different vision of God. It's this God who is Emmanuel, God with us. Whatever we go through, he is God with us. Whatever Whatever we face in life, he is God with us, suffering beside us. The God of the Bible is the God who is with us, who never leaves us, who never forsakes us, whatever we go through in life, and uses all of these things to shape us into who we are meant to be, who we are called to be. That is the God of the Bible. The God whose love, whose love is never Far from us. This is the God that, that Paul is describing in the eighth chapter of Romans. Starting with verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing comes between us and the potter's hands. Nothing comes between us and our loving Father. Nothing comes between us than the God who dwells with us, Emmanuel. One of the greatest theologians of the 21st century, of the 20th century, was a man named Karl Barth. He was a Swiss theologian, and you can fill libraries with his writings on the Bible. He's studied every verse of the Bible meticulously and told the rest of us what it means. Karl Barth uh, stood up to the Nazis during World War II and told them what they were doing was wrong because the Bible says so. He was uh, considered um, the, the greatest living theologian at his time. He is the only theologian I'm aware who has been Time's Man of the Year. He usually doesn't go to theologians. When Karl Barth uh, retired, it was a big deal. It attracted some press. He gave his last lecture, and when he came out of the lecture hall, uh, there was a gaggle of press there waiting for him. 
and uh, he took some questions. And one of the people called out to him, Mr. Barth, Dr. Barth, and the whole time that you have been studying the Bible and the whole time that you have been poring over theology, what is the most important thing that you have learned? And Dr. Barth thought about this for just a second. He said, the most important thing I've learned is this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The rest is just commentary. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. See, the God of the Bible is the one that walks with us the one who loves us, the one that no matter what we go through in life, he is nearer to us than our next breath. He doesn't promise us to part every sea we come to. He doesn't promise us he's going to rain bread from heaven every time we're hungry. But he does promise he will never leave us nor forsake us. So this morning... We light the candle of hope. We light the candle of hope because we know our Father loves His children. We light the candle of hope because we know the potter cares for His creation. We light the candle of hope because we know that Jesus, Emmanuel, dwells with us. And so... We who mourn in lonely exile here, who wait until the Son of God appear, rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.